Welcome to the Talent Rebelcast, Chats with Smart People. My name is Elaine Bailey, and I'm here with my co-host, Tracy Parsons. In this series, you're going to be hearing from some big thinkers in the talent space who we've invited just to come in and have a chat. Unlike anything else you've heard before, we are not prescripted. We don't have a plan for where this conversation is going, and it's going to be a wild ride. So buckle up and join us. Let's get started. Hello. Good morning, Tracy. I always Hello, say good morning. You, you realize that? I always say good morning, and sometimes it's not morning. Well, because you wake up at the crack of ass. Yeah. I and ever, it's pretty much you're working in the morning, then you're good because you wake up before, you know, other humans are even possibly so I considering. Can, so I can pretty much say good morning for my whole working day, and it kind of works. Yeah. Hey, Tracy, guess what we're doing? We, we've got a friend with us today. I know. I love friends. Oh, I'm so excited. So excited. So um, for those who don't know, we have, um, we're going to start doing um, more interviews and really they're not interviews. They're just chit chat sessions as we talk together. And our very first individual who has been willing to come onto this new format and chit chat with us is the one, the only Tyler Week. Uh, hi, everybody. <laughs> so, for those who don't know Tyler, um, and I can't believe anybody doesn't know Tyler, uh, yeah. I just, I have to read for a moment from his, his bio in case you were confused about why we invite him on. He says, I'm a physicist, I'm an artist, and a poet. I mean, seriously. Who doesn't need that in their life all the time? Just, just don't put me in a box. I got a lot of things I like to do. So Exactly. So these days, Tyler is, your official title, if I get this right, is you are the head of partnerships at Higher Score. Yeah. Partnerships and strategy. Yeah. Partnership. Oh, partnerships yeah. and strategy. Leave it out. Don't leave out the strategy part. You're a triple threat, man. Everybody wants some. Nobody knows what strategy is. They all just know they want some. Exactly. Exactly. And who better to give people what they think they want than Tyler Weeks? <laughs> what they think they want. Okay, good one. Sorry, everybody. I am way punchy today. I got the giggles. It's going to be a long pod today. That's okay. That's the best part. That's the best part of it. So we invited Tyler on and then we didn't tell him what we wanted to talk about because that's how we, that's how we go, how we flow, how we do things around here. And he's like, what are we, what are we going to chat about? And I said, well, what I want to chat about Tyler are things that we probably shouldn't talk about on the, on the podcast. So instead we're going to ask you, you and I started working together in the company that shall not be named in the, in the corporate ecosystem out there. And you jumped first and left the safety and security of a strong benefits package and um, corporate career trajectory that you could have lived in mediocre excitement about for many years to come. You made that jump out, went out and said, no, 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 I really like this stuff. I'm going to go work on the, on the vendor and the technology side of the house. How's that been? Was that a good jump? Yes, it definitely is a good jump in like, there's certain jobs that you take that you know it was the right choice because it hurts like hell. It's so like there's such a steep learning curve and you have so much to like comprehend and do that's new. And like you just know that you're like learning a new thing that you love and are going to love for a long time, but it it's not easy. It's been a huge transition. All of the things that you use to be really good inside a corporate bureaucracy 
probably about 20% of them are still useful when you go to a startup. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it's been great. It's been great. So would you recommend it for others? Like, is this like a, cause you know, there's, and the reason I'm asking this question is, is because we're just talking to Tracy for an earlier version of the pod. She's just done some really cool research out there around kind of what, what candidates are really talking about or what people are really mm-hmm. talking about. And overall, there's this overall sentiment that, that is starting to emerge that people are looking. I know we talked about some other pieces of this, Tracy, but uh, when we were looking at the actual verbiage, right, there was a lot out there just in general, not just in the talent space, but in general, people talking about the fact that this uh, pandemic has given them a moment of reflection. And then they're like, screw this, I'm doing something else. This is um, bullshit. This is bullshit. We're out of here. Um, so it was. There was a lot of Eric Cartman narrative in there. Like it was a lot of screw you guys. I'm going home. There was a lot. Of, <laughs> there was. There was a lot of really interesting, interesting sentiment from the from the job seeker universe. So I love Tyler that we're talking to you first on this topic because there is something to be said about leaving the safety and security of a very large company that is going to take care of you and deciding to do something different. And I think that you're not alone, obviously, in this. We're seeing this across the across the universe. I was on a pod yesterday that was just, you know, hey, what are we going to do with, with Generation Z when they don't want to do work? And I was like, well, nobody wants to do work. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, goes, Ooh, can I work today? That was working like, oh. sounds amazing, right? So, and I brought this to this in this, maybe this will be a great conversation point today is, you know, they are a very creative generation. They are very crafty and they're going to figure out a way to game our system. They're going to figure out a way to game our system. This might be the first generation that figures out, oh, okay, this system can be gamed and here's how it's gamed and not lose productivity. They're going to force us to rethink work are you seeing this as well? Like, is this something that you're seeing um, in the work that you do with your startup? You know, that's, that's a, it's an interesting question. It's like, so I'll, I'll kind of break that into a couple of different questions, I think. So right. the, the, the first question I, I, I thought I heard in there was around, do I, do I feel like people are looking to leave kind of the corporate environment and go to a smaller, smaller companies? I think yes and no. I think some people are and they don't know why. I think there's this sort of like myth about startups are going to be all about Nerf guns and beer on tap in the office. And it's like just it's a actually lot of, about a lot of sticky notes. Yeah, like it's, yeah, there you go. Like it's just like fun all the time. And like, you know, it's none of this like politics that I have to worry about. I think anybody who thinks they're going to go to a startup and like life is suddenly going to be easier or like magically better is going to be disappointed. Not because it's not great, but just because it's a challenge. Like if you're trying to do something that is interesting and you're trying to do something that has some risk associated with it, you're just trading out your problems for different ones. Instead of like when I was at the company that shall not be named, I like... I spent a lot of time almost like an entrepreneur, right? Like I, I had to go sell the things I was doing to internal stakeholders. I had to get investment for it. I had to convince people above me and people below me and to the side of me that this was a good idea. And that after we had done it, that it was it was a great idea. And so there was a lot of work there. 
you go to a startup and you're still doing all those activities. It's just different people. It's clients on one end, it's investors, it's like people within your company. So you're still doing all those activities. It's just a, a different a different set of people. And by the way, satisfying a client is much harder than satisfying an internal stakeholder because an internal stakeholder can't fire you. They're often stuck with you because you are, there's not another talent acquisition org, right? Like <laughs> they have to use the thing that you have. They might complain about it, but like in the end, they don't really have a choice to go buy something different. From that end, I, I don't think anyone who's going, that they, they're going to start just for the, the cachet of I'm leaving for a startup. I think they'll be disappointed. Now, I do think, at least for me, there's a certain type of problem that I really, really enjoy. And it's this, this like, I love to innovate. I love to be surrounded by people that have good ideas that are excited to go try them and excited to push the envelope and not really kind of just like execute on the thing that's always been done. That's really fun for me. It comes with more stress and more work and all of those things. Like if I wanted to just sort of like coast to the end of my career starting now, I could, but I, I do care about doing doing some of this stuff. So I, I don't really want that comfort of, I'm sort of giving up that comfort to like go do this thing and be surrounded by the energy that I want to be surrounded by. So first note, I, I like where you're going with it. So tell me, what are the big things you're going after? What, I know you can't tell me everything. I mean, or maybe you could, maybe this could be like, like dish the tea. What are you seeing out there that are the big problems you want to start solving? There's a couple and I'll actually, it ties to, I think Tracy, I think what your second question was about kind of like, the future of work, <laughs> Both, <laughs> right? Which is really what that, I, I think that really what that question is, is in, in the future of work isn't can, entirely controlled by employers in a, in a, to a huge measure, it's controlled by the employees and what I they, would argue none of it is controlled by employers. They've tricked themselves into thinking they sure, have Sure. And you, you can see that now with, with companies sort of revert, like taking an about face on, on working remotely as if they're going to mandate to all these people who are like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> right. There's all this research coming out right now. HR departments are going absolutely batshit crazy because yep. all these companies who tried to reverse on this hybrid and remote work model, et cetera, are yeah. panicking because employees are basically saying, no, not doing it. In fact, I'm going to put as many complaints in as I can. So you're clear that not only am I not going to do it, I'm going to make your life a living hell if you try and make me. Yeah. Well, and they can actually sue. They yeah. can sue for unsafe working conditions or whatever. Like the, this is, yeah, I, I've, I'm finding this entire, this entire moment in time to be, again, we talked about it on the pod late last year, like the emperor has no clothes. The illusion of control that employers think they have is just that. For the worker, for the employee, I think they need to be careful about how they view remote work. And what I mean by that is, Yes, it creates more flexibility for you as a person. However, if I was looking at this as like a major employer and I was being forward thinking about it, the interesting thing about remote work is that it takes charisma out of the equation. So now your value to the company is much more tied to your output, your productivity. Like when you're working remotely, the things that you produce are much more 
are tie are much clo- more closely tied to your value. Like if you've worked in a large company, you can exist and go very far purely on charisma. You're not producing anything. You're not doing anything for anybody, but people like you and you're around the office and you're friends. And so you end up in everybody's network and, you know, that person gets promoted and they take you with them. And so you kind of work your way up the ladder, never having actually produced anything. But when you're working remotely, it's very easy to see who is contributing and who is not. So are you thinking that an unintended consequence might be the mediocrity failing forward might end? I think it will put a damper on it. I don't think it'll ever end. When I kind of play out that like simulation in my head, I don't see a future where you don't have more accountability for your output if you're working remote. I think the whole concept of the gig economy is this too. It's like you're being hired to produce this thing, not to be my friend. So like... Yes, I think that's possible. And I think that... Um, there's probably a, a greater degree to which that's going to happen, but I wouldn't under undersell um, the adaptability of, of humans to figure out new ways to create connection and to build the sorts of relationships that we thought were relationships you had to build by grabbing coffee with somebody in the office, right? I think we're going to see new versions of this charisma culture start to come out and it may be different people who excel at it, but I think it's, I don't necessarily think it's going to go, go, go away completely. Yeah. That, that's fair. But I think to the uh, Gen Z question, right, of yeah. you'll have to be very charismatic over Slack. Your yeah. gift game will have to be an 11 to, to like. Your gift yeah. game already is at 11. Right. Like that's the beauty of this gen, right? So I think they're incredibly adept at being charismatic digitally. Yeah, I I listened to an interview probably a year ago with the the CEO of WordPress, and they've been a distributed company their entire existence. They don't even have a headquarters. What's interesting about he he talked about their interviewing process. So to be successful at a company like that, you've got to be very good over instant messaging and like kind of all these channels that they use to work across. They will hold interviews that were purely over Slack, which I thought was fascinating because it's like. Just like in two years ago, you would bring somebody on site, you do an on-site interview, walk them around the office, have them meet people because you want to see what they, how they respond to the environment and see that it's a fit for both of you. Well, if your environment is all digital, then you've got to see that that person like fits in into that digital office space. So I, I, I do think... Okay, I'm making all kinds of notes right now. Like I'm just, right? I'm just making mental notes right now, right? Right, because our startup's going to hire. Hire, we're going to be digitally distributed forever, and yeah, I mean, thank you, Tyler Weeks. <laughs> yeah, the check, I mean, the check is in the mail, Tyler, for that. Uh, yes, for that strategy. I do think that that when I when I think about the future of what work looks like, I I think about that from the employee standpoint of like, how do you go be very. How do you make those? I, I think because I think you're right, Alin. I think we're at a, an inflection point. So there is a lot more being put on productivity. As soon as you go digital or like remote, like now it's what can I produce? And what does that do to the brand? If we are solo, if we are going back to basics, like Alin and I talked about, if we're going back to basics, we're talking about pay, we're talking about hours, we're talking about productivity, we're talking about the output and your value in the organization, right? 
are we overselling if we're branding? Like, do you know what I mean? Like what, then what happens to brand? If we're going back to basics of you're a human that does these human things that we need as humans, because the robots aren't going to do that. Like the robots are not going to do the thing that you uniquely bring to the table and the output that you can bring. And we're going to pay you X for that. And we don't care how long it takes you or how short it takes you. Right. It's about the output. What does it do to the employer brand? Does the EVP shift? Does the employee value proposition shift? I think employee value proposition, it's kind of like, I, I almost think about it in the same category as think about like C and B comp levels. What does that mean? You, did, nope. you just, I don't know what you're talking about now. Candidates don't care. Like candidates aren't looking at it and going, and like, I, they don't know what C and B comp level they're in or like how they're being benchmarked in the industry. And so like, it doesn't make sense to tell them that because they're not like, I think employee, like going to somebody and saying, here's our employee value proposition. They don't recognize that as an entity or as a thing that's to, as no, a, they don't. I, I go back. So I live close to, to the Nike headquarters and I, I've, I've told Lynn this before. Like I just remember one day driving by the, the Nike campus and I had this thought, man, I'd be, I bet it'd be cool to work there. And then because I'm a nerd and I think about these things and we're in this space, I thought, why did I just think that? Like, where did that come from? Like, I just drove past their parking lot and I was like, huh, I'd kind of like to work there. I mean, it is a badass campus. Let's be honest. Like that campus is just badass. Exactly. Right. All the things that that accumulated in my brain to make me have that thought. of I mean, they've basically they've basically trademarked cool. That's right. Right. That's right. So I like drove by. I thought that would be cool. I think employee value proposition is kind of nested somewhere in there. And if I'm joining a company and I am working from home and I'm logging on, what I want to see is not like beer in the office and and Nerf guns and beanbag chairs. What I want to see is that if anybody I know goes online and Googles the place I work, they see that I am making the world a better place. I am having a difference in the world. Because the, the thing that I'm going to want to do being remote is feel like I'm a part of something. That's going to be my biggest hurdle to like loyalty to the company and to giving up my discretionary hours is that I'm part of something. You you work because you're going to be part of something and get paid, but go ahead. Yes, I'm yeah, with yeah. you. Yeah, so like what I... I I'm just thinking out loud here. No, what I... You know where you're going, Tyler. This is so interesting. Where you're going is um, it's a place I've been I've been really zooming around a lot lately uh, as well. What you're basically saying is, without and trying to be nice about it, and there's no reason to be, is that employer value proposition and employer brand is a bunch of bullcrap, right? At the end of the day, it's the corporate brand, and it is the corporate identity. And it is what they have enveloped in that. Now it is about what it's like to work in. It's not even about what it's like to work in that environment. It's what will people's perception be of me if I work in that environment. That's that's the thing. I don't think that employer brand is total shit. I do think it's a thing, but it's not about selling to me as the candidate. It's about selling to my parents and to my friends. The people that I care about their opinion there's a thing we do. And I, I, Lynn, I know this is a conversation we had a couple of years ago, but like, there's a thing we do with candidates where we throw a bunch of information about to the, at them about the company. 
And then we put the burden on them to go explain to their family and friends why it's a good idea to join the company. If you make cars and Tesla gives you an offer, you have almost no burden in convincing your family it's a good idea because everybody knows Tesla. And they're like, oh, cool. They're innovators. So good for you. If you make cars and you get an offer from a very small company nobody's ever heard of that has no presence online... Now you, as the prospect or the candidate, you have to go validate this decision by giving everyone you know all the information you have about the company and then like hoping they take all that and then regurgitate back to you in a way that like, oh, that's cool. You should go do that. That's the way we think about it. And so like even more so if we're going like remote, I need the company I work for to sell me working there to my family and friends more than ever because there's not a building no it's no it's absolutely it's absolutely correct because it because you know if we think about it right really the brand that people are worried about isn't the employer brand it's their own personal brand yes it's my brand my brand is impacted by the company i work for that's right that's right so if i'm going to go and connect myself to this company i want to make sure that everybody else sees that and my and, and sees my value going up in in relationship to that. That's it's like, what, that's what it's right. Like. It's like the employee brand proposition, that's right? Nice. That's that's the thing that I want. Yeah. What hand up? What Tracy? Are you like I'm going to have to call bullshit on all of this? Was that the amen? Was oh, I thought it was an amen? No, no. Oh, so okay. So, I thought she was going to go right with us. No, fine. no, no. So I'm sorry, and you guys can you guys can totally disagree with me, and I'm fine with that. What you're talking about is very romantic and it applies to about 2% of the humans. Okay. So we're working way up the Maslow pyramid right now. Okay. We so need to go to way back down to where 56% of the employment people working in the universe are working. So yes, while I hear what you're saying, I totally agree with you for the me's and the you's and the Lynn's and, and some of our listeners. But I think that there is a ginormous population of humans who are like, I could give a shit who I'm going to go work for. I need to make money. I need to feed my family. I don't really care what the brand is or what it says. I'm just sitting. I'm just Wait a minute. going you, past this research. You don't think that they would, they don't might not call it brand, but you don't think that they care about who like what it says about them that they work there that's right like i'm gonna i'm i'm getting ready and i have to go i'm gen z and they're probably whatever generation is after gen z because these are the kids now who are going off alpha their first job is it alpha alpha yeah it is not is it really yeah. A whole nother conversation. We're very not creative anymore, FYI. Yeah. We've okay. just we've just not gotten creative. I mean, like, okay. whatever. Okay, but proceed. Anyway, what I'm saying is I'm going off and I'm getting my first fast food job. And I have the option to go to McDonald's, Taco Bell, you know, Burger King, et cetera. You don't think that in the back of my head where I'm going to go and choose to go spend these hours that I have to go work to go get a paycheck because my parents told me to get out of the house isn't going to be based on a selection that says I'm going to go to the one that my kid, my friends think is the coolest. No. Who's going to give me the best shifts and the most money? I don't that's, know. I think that's A and B. And then I think I, I, I don't say it's not part of the equation. I don't think it's the bulk of the equation. Again, I could be totally wrong. I'll ask my Gen Z when I talk to him next time. Look, I hear what you're saying. If I've got no other options, then I don't care. I'm not going to not take it. I'm going to not take a job because 
I am too proud to go work for a company that has such repu- like X and X reputation, right? Like, sure. But if I'm, if all things considered, if two things are equal and one is going to make me look good with my friends, then that's the one I'm going to take. I'm not in at any level, right? Like it could be like, it could be in and out versus McDonald's. And if I've got a choice and one like comes with, like, if you look at the economics of prestige, if one comes with some level, like even incrementally more prestige, like you don't think that that matters to how I, how I choose. I don't think it matters as much as we think it does. Again, the candidate conversations that I'm seeing, there is no brand that enters into the conversation. We're not talking about, it's not, it's a low branded conversation. Uh-huh. If they're talking about looking for a job, if they're talking about applying for a job, if they're talking about starting a new job, it's not a branded conversation. I'm not saying it doesn't play at all. I'm saying I don't, I think we're over indexing on it. I think we're putting more weight on it. And I think we're putting more weight on it because we think about it a hundred percent more than they do. Sure. But then at that point, if you're to that point, then there is no such thing as employer brand. Like, there, like there's no value in it at all. Like not even like. That's why we had to rebrand the whole podcast. Tracy's like, yeah. recruitment marketing doesn't exist. I'm like, oh my God. I, again, I, I think that there is a place for it. I don't know if there's as much energy that we need to be putting around it. I think that if we are talking about, if we are talking about brand and value proposition, we need to talk about brand and value proposition of the value that we're bringing that person. As we go up the chain, as we go up the Maslow hierarchy of needs, if we can provide safety and and physiological and physical safety, then if we can create belonging. But if we're talking about a lot of hourly jobs, I'm not sure how high up the chain it goes. The purpose at that level is not necessarily about reaching self-actualization through work. The purpose then is to provide a good life for my family or my people. I think we're talking about maybe two different things. I don't think I'm talking about self-actualization through work. I think I'm talking purely about, purely about validation with my peers. And I don't think that's the same thing as self-actualization. If I have a choice at any level of employment, to pick a thing that is going to make me look cooler than another thing, I think that that, that that wins. Now, to your point, I don't think make me look cooler has anything to do with the way that recruitment marketing talks about employer value proposition. It has to do with how that corporate brand or that product or how that is perceived. Like if you picture like how people think about Red Bull, Like nobody's asking like, what, like, am I going to be self-actualized working at Red Bull? No, they're like, hey, there's really cool videos of people like jumping cars off of cliffs. That would be, my friends will think I'm cool if I work for Red Bull. That has nothing to do with like actualizing me. Maybe I don't have a lot of friends. I do see the difference in what you're talking about. And I don't have a ton of friends. So like what people think about (laughs) me and what I do is not... I can't. So I like for me, I don't, I don't really care. Like, and I, maybe I'm internalizing it too personally. I don't care. So nobody else cares. And I think that there's this flip side of that is I care. So everybody else cares. Right. Well, I bet it's somewhere in the middle. It's, that's what I'm saying. I think both things can be true. I honestly do. I think both things can be true. Fundamentally, the fact that work is work and I do work to get a paycheck 
And at the end of the day, that's what's going to drive my decision making, right? At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what the prestige is, but if you're not going to pay me in what I think I'm worth or what I think I want to have, I'm not going to take the job. But I also think that whether I choose to even consider it, the fact that I would even look, it's not about choosing to consider it. It's like, I need a job. Where am I going to go look? Is going to be very based on this idea of what are people going to think of me if I do this? Why, why do I like one thing over another? And I think this idea of the psychology of I like one thing over another much more based on how other people are going to perceive me for liking it than what about what I really like, right? Because we are just a world right now based on how many clicks and likes and views we get not based on am I doing the right thing for me and what do I really want in the world, et cetera. And I think that's where Tyler's going. Like, like there's a different motivator in that space around what's important to me. But back to the very basics of it, I completely do agree. It's all irrelevant if the paycheck doesn't meet my basic needs. And I will say this, having been, I mean, I'll be honest, having been on the job market recently and being out there and looking at, at opportunities, I talked to some really hip, cool places that I thought were really good doing some really cool, interesting stuff. They met all of my like sense of desire and need and, oh, they're cool. And people are going to think they're cool and all of this sort of stuff. And when it came down to it, they were cheap and um, I'm not cheap. And I think that's what it, it, I think there's that balance in that space. That's interesting. Interesting dialogue. So how does all of this, I'm completely, I know we're like going to completely run over time in a second, but I'm thinking Tyler, how does all of this connect to this work that you're doing now around helping companies being able to find the right people in the mix of everything they're looking at all this work you're doing around leveraging artificial intelligence and et cetera. I, I think, I think people struggle to find the connective tissue between helping people or um, getting people in the door and then connecting yeah. them to the opportunity at the end of it. And they see them as two separate pieces. And I'd like your, maybe you think they are too. I don't know. What do you think? There's a, a local university and I, for the last few years I've, I've, volunteered with, you know, coming in and talking to some students that they, they, they have this cool kind of unique program. It's like a data science program inside a business school. So I, I just love that, that combination. So I'll go in and, and talk to the students every once in a while. And I got a really interesting question from there that I've, I, I have been chewing on that I think is related to this. As you know, and Tracy, I don't know how familiar you are with, with Hired Score, uh, who, where, I, where I work now. But what we do that I think is different than anyone else out there is we have an AI product that scores candidates. The idea of AI for matching or for candidate scoring is essentially commoditized, right? Like every big platform advertises something that they've got. Now, what they do, that what they all do, as far as I can tell, like universally, is their algorithm is trying to predict one of two things, either who will get hired or who will be a, a high-performing employee. Those are like one of the two things that, they, that they're optimizing for. Now, buried in all of that of who gets hired, you know, like based on your history or who is high-performing in your company, that contains a lot of uh, historical bias in it, right? It, it's problematic to start thinking about who's yes. going to navigate my corporate bureaucracy really well. 
probably people that look a lot like the boss, right? And talk like the boss. And like, so, you know, you- challenge, right? A, the, the challenge everybody's starting to talk about, which is that AI basically just starts to propagate replications of ourselves. Yeah. It, well, it's, it's going to be really good at learning what you've done, which, and if you've been biased for years, then it will be very good at doing that. What we do that's different is our algorithm is actually trying to predict who is qualified. It sounds subtle, but it's actually a very important difference. So when a hiring manager writes something like five years of marketing experience or equivalent, that equivalent statement carries a lot of ambiguity. A human is going to bring to that question or to that criteria the things that they're familiar with. Well, what do I know about marketing? What are roles that look familiar to me? What are companies that I'm aware of? What are college programs that I've seen that I know? Like, that's how hiring managers look at that criteria. That's how recruiters look at that criteria. Well, what we can do is we understand for for your company in that country at that seniority level, the broadest definition possible for what equivalent means And then we can go understand from the resume what three jobs this person had that add up to that five years. And in a way that like doesn't rely on that human's prior knowledge of that role, right? So it's like, so we're really focused on is the person qualified? Now, why I think that's really, and because that's our kind of our core, we can do lots of cool things. We go do things for around DNI with that. We go help you look at your applicants. We can search your whole database to find qualified people. Like there's a lot of things that we go do now, but at, at a kind of getting to the, the question at hand, why I think that's important. And the question of the student that I talked to the other night, well, if you're looking at qualification and you're saying, and you're, you're prioritizing candidates based on who's qualified, how does that help me if I want to make a career change? Doesn't that make it harder for me to make a career change or to like do something new? Isn't that going to, get, going to exclude me? Right. What's interesting about that question is that it sounds like a great idea to have an algorithm guessing uh, what I would be good at based on clues in my, like re- trying to read between the lines and be like, oh, I think you'd be good at this thing. That's exactly the thing that everybody's terrified of is an algorithm assessing me for things beyond what I said or did for looking at like taking audio of me talking and assessing whether or not I'm an honest person or video of me and, and, and trying to like determine how like creative I am. Like it's things that I can't control that I don't know what it's assessing me for. That's exactly the thing you don't want in the process. So my answer to her was actually it's the opposite by making, helping you as a company make crystal clear criteria for the job. That's That gives everybody a very clear idea of what the goalposts are. I want to be this new thing and I can go look at this job and see exactly what I need to do to be qualified for it. Sort of the history of hiring, there's always the qualifications and then the real qualifications. You had to have gone to this school. You had to be friends with this person. You had to be in the old boys network for these people. And it's those hidden criteria that actually sort of limit access to opportunity. So I think by helping companies focus on qualification and make those qualifications crystal clear to a general audience. I think you actually increase opportunity. Now, not everybody is going to be qualified. 
Well, you shouldn't be hiring people that are, aren't qualified for the job, but if they know what they are, then they know what the Delta is. So, oh, I need to learn how to blah, 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 blah. I need to get this skill. I need to, but I, I can't even go do that if I don't know if I have poorly defined qualifications. So why that's important to this is that, and going to that lowest common denominator, I think Tracy, that you went to is if I think about sort of the vast majority of job seekers out there that are trying to provide for their family, they're trying to meet basic needs, them having the clearest possible criteria for what it takes to get this job, I think gives them viable steps to do that. And so then in terms of the Maslow hierarchy of needs, if I know what it is that I need to do, then I can start thinking about, well, what do I want to do? What kind of company would I want to work for? What would it take to get there? What are they looking for? I think you actually create, you actually make the path clear as opposed to, well, I can never do that because I don't know anybody. I don't know the people that would get me that job. I think you're on to something. I, I do. I do. I think, um, and then this is a, a something I'll, I'll pose to you, and I don't necessarily think there's an answer for it yet. But one of the things that I've been really struggling with is where I think we're moving um, in terms of uh, understanding what the actual skills and capabilities are for the jobs that we're looking for, right? I think that's actually part of the challenge statement. And I spent a long time talking about how I think um, resumes are a piece of crap because they're they're static as they are, right? Now, people can agree or disagree with me on that, right? But But they have to be viable and recent and current. And there's so many challenges with that. I think the same is true looking at individual jobs today and the way we think about job descriptions and 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 the way we think about identifying the skills and capabilities that we're looking for for one individual job. And what I would say that to your kind of large larger answer there is that I think you're right um, with everything that you said, and it is about understanding and being clear about the skills and clear capabilities that you're looking for. But I think the challenge for companies is how do you start to do that without defining it in an isolated individual job? How do you help companies use technologies like yours or technologies like Tracy's as she's starting to go out there and look in the internal mobility space? How do we start to look at these skills and capabilities more as necessary building blocks of a company's organizational larger capability and that we're looking for people to help fill in those spaces. And it's not about one job. It's about how do they fit into this larger picture? I, I think there's a connector dot there, but there is no, there is definitely a connection there. And I, 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 I love that. One of the reasons that I think that we all get along is that we, we all agree the resume is stupid, right? The resume is stupid. Like it doesn't work. Like everything, everything about the application, about finding a job and getting a job is built on those two things that are not really good. Like the job description doesn't tell you what the job really is. And the resume doesn't tell you what that person actually did. And it's all like assumed. Like we assume this is what the job is going to be going forward. We assume this is what you've done in the past. But we don't know anything about you. Nothing about the go forward is, is really, really discussed. Um, and I think one of the things that the pandemic taught all of us is that you're adorable if you think that you know what something's going to look like in three months. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I, cute. I'm going to pinch your little cheeks, you little prognosticators. We don't know shit. That's true. That's true. You know, it's interesting. I used to hate the resume and I used to hate the job description, like with Venom. To me, I just thought it was the stupidest thing. 
at the individual level, if I'm making one-on-one choices, or if I look at the quality of a single resume, it's a personal document that I have created. I don't really know how to sell myself on a resume. So I'm doing the best I can. So I'm even layering in just like access to like training and templates and like a good way to write around. Like, yeah, you know, access is a huge issue with resumes. Yeah, yeah. Job descriptions can suffer from the, a, a similar thing. Now, LinkedIn is a giant database of self-declared skills and experience. Right. No one would argue that that is not the most valuable talent database in the world. It is 100%. Because right. even though at an individual level, there might be problems with the integrity of the data. Like if I go look at one person, I kind of, I have to like guess that how much of it is, you know, valid. But in aggregate, it's incredibly valuable. And to your question, I think for companies that are trying to diagnose work or sort of characterize work and people, the resumes in aggregate and the job descriptions in aggregate are very valuable to you. That's the challenge, Tyler, is thinking about that. This is the challenge with, with the big data story for us, right? You take things in aggregate or you take them in, in large numbers, right? And you find the common trends and threads around them. It's going to point you in the right general direction. And that's going to help and, and provide value. Um, but you start to apply that to individuals and individual connector points. It becomes more problematic. We, we have to, I just personally, I agree with you. I just personally think we have to find ways to allow people to provide data that is more accurate as an input and it can be done. Well, yeah, always a snapshot in time. Like all of this is, I think that's the point I'm trying to make. Like all of this is just a snapshot in time because this is what I've done, right? And I think that the last 15 months has shown us that, oh, I mean, and you saw it in some of the quotes in the research, Alin, like we've had 15 months to go, I don't know, you guys, is this the thing that I want to keep doing anymore, right? So there's a lot more. I think. But when, when we sit, when we talk about a resume, what what do we mean by accurate? Here's what I mean: is like I think about I have this like debate, this sort of like comical debate in my head of these two people. It's like a skit, probably like a cartoon, right? Two people standing and looking at a house, and one arguing that it's made out of bricks, and the other arguing that it's made out of love. They're both right. They're just talking about different things. And when I think about resumes and how people represent the work that they've done. I think depending on what job they're applying for, different details are more or less accurate or more. Or le- I, I think it's relative to the, the, the position. So the idea that you would have a single document or a single way to capture information about a person that was universally better to evaluate them for a role. I don't know if you can do that. Really. I mean, I, I agree with you. So so don't misunderstand me. I'm not telling you that the documentation of my representation of myself is wrong, whether we call it a resume or, um, you know, I list a set of skills and I throw it up on a piece. That's not, I mean, I do think there's some validation concern there, but that's just a natural, right? We, we have to deal with that. But I think the issue is, is that most companies in today's world take that one snapshot in time and use it in memoriam for how you represent that person in front of you. And that person is changing and learning and growing so fast that unless you're constantly 
yeah. and relooking and updating and getting the right kind of getting the new nuance of it, you're never getting a clear picture of the capabilities. No, I actually had a startup that was trying to solve this once about seven years ago. And I will tell you that the humans are not doing it. Right. So if you go look at, at adoption of every LMS you talk to, they will present to you this wonderful future where they can solve all of these problems if every employee uses this thing all the time. In reality, Adoption of LMSs is less than 10% of your employees. You're going to have the same problem if you have an HCM and you have profiles that you want people to go in and fill out. You can run a campaign to your heart's desire. So you are blue in the face. You'll probably get about 15% of your your workforce, if this is a, a large enterprise, going in and actually filling it out. You could try to like use LinkedIn, but your LinkedIn profiles are the same thing as their resumes. They're going to update it only when they're really like looking like very few of them are going to be actively keeping it up to date. It's going to expire. So you have this problem with every system in every place. And the part of the challenge is that all of these systems are sort of obsessed with themselves. If you could just get all of your employees to use this one thing all the time, it's like, yeah, duh. <laughs> I actually wrote a blog post about it last week. I wrote a blog post is uh, almost all HR tech is designed for the enter- or is designed for the overlord. That's what I call the, for the yeah, I like I love that. Right? Yeah. It's, it, all HR tech is designed to serve the needs of the org. And the org gets really mad when the people don't use it. And I always go back to like it's cuz you didn't design it for them. If you'd have designed it for them, they would use it. Yeah. More, not all of them, but they would use it more. But you don't, you're designing and rolling out systems like LMSs meet your needs as an organization. If you rolled it out for them to meet the needs of the people, then you might get farther. The time in an employee sort of like day to day life that you're going to get the most information from them gladly is when they're applying for a job. They will gladly give you their new resume, application questions, they'll fill out whatever they need to do because like there's an exchange there. But right? they won't because they're not applying right now and the drop-off is huge. But keep going. I'm, I'm, I'm digging the train of thought, but go. But my point is if you think about all of those touch points in an empl- for an employee of times where I apply for a job, maybe I do go look at a course. Maybe I think building this profile for an employee is not about having the one ring to rule them all. Like everyone go to this system. It's meeting the employees where they're at. Every employee is going to have a different thing that's bringing them value. And when they go interact with that thing, they are telling you something about what they're interested in, what skills they have. And it's not about forcing them to go do something else they don't find valuable. It's meeting them there. It's like the right. same same reason your phone has like eight ways to get to the settings. Like I think this is the same with external candidates. We just have to reshift our heads a little bit. And I don't know the answers to these problems. But at the end of the day, you're saying exact I'm I think you're saying exactly the right thing. And if I think it, it must be right. Um, Clearly. <laughs> right. But obviously meet the people where they are, right? Mm-hmm. Quit, trying, quit trying to push them all into our overlord system for in whatever way and and think about meeting where they are figure out where they are and by the way more important now that they are not only realizing they're going to be in control they seriously right now guys the people are all in control they they, they're complete and they know it 
This was awesome, Mr. Tyler. Thank you for being our very first um, Alliance conversation with smart people. See, we we named it right. Conversations with chats. (laughs) Tyler was a smart person, Tracy. It was very interesting. Yeah, he up level he up leveled the whole the whole IQ in this party. No offense, Alin, but you know. Here yeah, we go. Exactly. Guys, you guys are making me blush. This was so much fun. Like, seriously. Yeah. I, how, do people, how do people talk to you more, Tyler? Because I know you like to talk to random people. I'm on LinkedIn under my name. I'm also Ty Weeks uh, on uh, Twitter. You could email me. I'm Tyler at Hired Score. So. Fabulous. And I recommend everybody do that. If you're not, if you're not following what Tyler is throwing down, then um, you're not having the right conversation. So thank you very much. And as always, um, my friends, you can reach Tracy at T Parsons or me at Alin Bailey. Check out the new website, everybody. What, the, what? Yeah, what, what? The Talent Rebel Alliance. We want to hear from you. We want you to connect with us. Look forward to more conversations with smart people. And we hope to have you back soon, Tyler. Thanks so much. Love to. Love to. Thanks, guys. This is Thanks, the best. Tyler. Uh-huh. Bye. Thank you for listening in. We hope you enjoyed yourself. The Talent Rebel Cast is part of the Talent Rebel Alliance. It's a movement connecting strong, independent, bossy, and, well, sometimes feisty women in the talent industry. Together, we're on a mission to grow our ideas, our presence, our value, and our impact. Smart women connecting with smart women to support each other. It's as simple as that. We believe big things happen from simple ideas. If you want to join the Talent Rebel Alliance, come on over and check out our website at talentrebelalliance.com. We hope to hear from you soon. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.